0: Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Perception is Reality. It is your faithful host, David. Thank you for tuning in and if you're new thanks for finding me today i'm very excited to welcome my new friend as you all know everybody who joins the podcast is automatically my friend that just happens that way um jerry brazy thanks for coming on the show jerry
1: david i'm happy to be here
0: i am happy you're here too um i like to meet new people and learn how they uh how they think um so Jerry is part of my podcast host series because I put out a post that I was looking for uh, people to be guests on the show who have things that they'd like to talk about. Jerry was kind enough to um, say, yeah, I'm totally up for that. So I really appreciate that. Jerry, you are the host of the Jerry Brazy podcast, correct?
1: That is correct. Yes.
0: And because I love to promote my guests, they can find you, I want to just say the word everywhere, but if you want to be more specific, please tell us.
1: Yeah, everywhere is uh, correct, but jerrybrazy.com is probably, you can get everywhere
0: you want to go there from
1: from there, uh, jerrybrazy.com. All the links are there.
0: And for those of us at home, that's J-E-R-R-Y-B-R-A-Z-I-E, correct?
1: That is correct, yes.
0: Okay. I don't like to do math or spell in public, so I just thought I'd help the audience out. Uh, I I was never part of a spelling bee. Uh, I didn't play a spelling bee person on TV either. Um, So I just thought I'd help everybody out. Uh, Jerry, what is it that we'd like to talk about today?
1: David, today I want to talk about what is a passion of mine, and that is success. And success specifically coming from a poor background and what people are capable of and what people can achieve. And my message has always been that if you are, when I was a kid, I'm 50 years old. And when I was a kid, I grew up in poverty. And I remember being told all of the time that success wasn't something that was attainable because you needed to have an education or you needed to have on tax. You know, you needed to know somebody. You needed to have gone to a special school or that there was some overlord somewhere out on the East Coast that was controlling and pulling the strings that didn't let you become successful. So as a street kid at 17 years old, uh, living in a $25 a week flop house, I had no concept, no concept of what success might look like i just knew that i had in front of me a life of digging ditches and uh and hauling trash and i had one thing though that worked in my favor and that was work ethic so over the last 30 odd years uh i have reached a a level of success that i certainly never thought i would and so my passion is trying to educate others and get the word out about what is possible and what we can do. I think that's much, it's much worse today, the message that is going out to kids, social media, uh, the state of politics today, that uh, it's even harder than ever to make it and there's some invisible force that stops you from being successful. And my experience and my message is exactly the opposite.
0: Jerry, I need to tell you something. I love an underdog, and I'm I'm already um, kind of geeking out about hearing your story. I'm not going to lie. Um, so thanks for coming on and, and sharing that. I have so many things that this will happen throughout, throughout the podcast, just to warn you. Like, I won't be able to, I'll start to stutter because my brain is firing. The synapses are on fire. So I appreciate you giving me such a good topic to discuss. May I start out with? what is your definition of success because i've come across in, in my travels in, in the world people define success differently so i just wanted to know if you don't mind what's what's your definition of success
1: yeah it's a great question my and i always when i uh, on my podcast and when i'm talking to other people and i'm counseling people i always say that everyone's definition of success is different so one of the keys to becoming successful is to find somebody that is uh, that has done well at what, you're, at what you want to do and follow along. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I have eight brothers and sisters. I'm child number seven. And my parents had six kids by the time they were 22 years old. And wow. so my older brothers and six brothers and sisters are less than a year apart on average. And then seven years later, they had me. So... There's this big gap between me and my older family. And then I have a little brother and little sister because they didn't want me to be an only child. And so I was able to watch my older brothers and sisters, how they behave as teenagers and in their early twenties, getting married, having kids as teenagers, all of that. And I learned from that and said, okay, I'm going to do the exact opposite. That doesn't work. I see that. I see why that doesn't work. And I did the exact opposite. So my version of success relative to my family was to, was to, to le- put my family in a better position than the, than the position I got from my family. Uh, so all three of my children have graduated. One's going off to the military. Uh, the other ones are in school. One works for me here at, the, at one of the companies that I own. And so for me, I could stop there and be successful relative to previous generations. I could just, you know, my kids graduated from high school. That by itself is successful. So that for me is a success. But personally, growing up for the way that I did, success to me was having money because I used to steal food to eat uh, up until I got my first job when I was 11 years old. And so success for work is that I was able to grow and build businesses from scratch not knowing the first thing about business, having no idea what a mortgage was, having no idea what interest rates were, having no idea what a P&L was, no education, and a street kid, and I was able to learn everything that I needed to. Uh, and the more I learned, the more money I made. I ultimately started my own company, and you know, again, over the last 20 years, we've done about 450 million dollars in revenue, started from scratch with nothing. Uh, and so my definition of success from that is that I've now changed generations to come going forward. I, and, and and I'm one of these people that always says about money, you know, it's always the super rich people that tell you, uh, that don't chase money. Well, when you're a poor kid, like I was that stole food to eat money is money and food are combined. They're the same thing. And as a 50 year old, having done all of the things that I've done both I can't you know it's 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 in my DNA now that food and work go together and the more successful I am the more I'm going to be able to eat and so that's really what pushed me over the years and success for me has been defined that way also so I have the my family side and I have my my work side but what I tell everyone I use the family example first because success is defined, whatever someone thinks is important, and go out and find that person that's good at it, somebody that's learned from it, somebody that's made mistakes, and follow them. If that's uh, you want to have a good uh, uh, marriage, go find somebody that's been married for 25 years and ask them how they did it. You got You want to start a business, go find somebody that started a business and ask them how they did it. You want to be the best basketball player in the world, go try to talk to LeBron James, right? Whatever it is that you want to do, that you want to have success at, uh, go and find somebody that's done it before you and then be successful at it. So that's what I mean when I talk about success. And one more thing, if I can, when I talk about success, I'm talking about uh, where you you have not necessarily passionate about something uh, or it's what you necessarily love to do. But it's something that you can do, uh, that you have the ability to do, and that you can do that well. And sometimes those things aren't always connected.
0: That's a good point. Um, And I want to talk about that. But um, first, I will say that I don't know why anybody would want to talk to LeBron when James Harden is here. So, you know. That's a good point. Just just saying, you know, as a Houstonian and a Rockets fan, just throwing that out there. I'll give you that one. Okay. (laughs) I'm teasing you. Uh, LeBron's great. He knows that he's great. I know, you know. He knows that I know that he's great. It's fine.
1: I'm from um, Portland and I hate the Lakers. so I'm uh, I'm happy to bag on LeBron. I should have used uh, somebody else.
0: That's all like right. Jordan, but, there we go. Oh, MJ. <sighs> yeah. Who doesn't love and know MJ? I mean, that's right. Uh, which, uh, by the way, if you wanted to, his uh, mansion is still for sale in Chicago. If you were looking for a Chicago place to hang your hat. Yeah. It's on sale now, so don't I, worry.
1: You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I just, that came across, uh, I don't know, one of my social media feeds here a couple of weeks ago. So that's funny.
0: Yeah, oddly enough, it came across my LinkedIn, which is funny. Um, yeah. I don't know why, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to be buying, spoiler alert to you and to the, to the listeners, uh, I will not be buying uh, Michael Jordan's estate in Chicago, much to many people's dismay. It's just not going to sure. happen. <laughs> Um but thank you for all of that and and then explaining that um we have a lot of similarities uh I had my first job when I was thirteen um, we I didn't grow up poor, but both of my parents did. They grew up extremely poor uh My mother grew up in rural west virginia uh my grandfather was a coal miner uh he died in the coal mines um while well, he reside. That's so dramatic sounding. I mean, he didn't die actually in a coal mine, like in a cave or anything. Like he got sick and, you know, black lung or whatever they had. So, I mean, he wasn't literally in the coal mine. He died because of the coal mine. Um, And my dad um, grew up uh, really poor. So they made sure that my sisters and I were going to have a better start than they did. So we grew up, I mean, I spent the first... Seven years of my life in the inner city. Um, and then they, finally, we had enough money to move out to suburbia. Um, you know, not like awesome suburbia, but suburbia. And so I started my first job when I was 13. Um, I was a migrant worker. I worked on the farm. I picked vegetables with the uh, migrant workers. It was me and them out there. I learned a lot of Spanish uh, in my youth. Not that I could speak any of it now because I haven't which is lame. But so I appreciate where you're coming from. I didn't have to go to the extreme that you did, but I appreciate your work ethic. Um, I think we definitely share that. The,
1: the work ethic when it comes to success, uh, while it was necessary, I actually as an 11 year old worked at a local restaurant and paid taxes to give you some sense. And I remember too, David, it's funny, I tell the story where, I got paid. I worked the day, and I think my check was like seventeen dollars and change. Uh, I was probably making two dollars thirty cents, whatever the minimum wage was at the time. And I would go down around the corner to the Sentry Store and cash my check. And I would have them give me now again. I'm eleven years old. I'd have them give me all ones, so I had this big fat roll because that's what I (laughs) saw rich people had, you know, on television. Is you know they had this big fat roll, and so I'd get my seventeen dollars all in, all in. In dollar bill?
0: Yeah, we got, um, I don't know, I don't remember what we got paid, but it was funny because the farmer's market also had a little stand and um, he would sell, I just remember this so much, like every day after working out in the fields and I don't, you know, however long I was out there, a couple hours picking green beans. I picked everything. I learned how to drive. I learned how to drive because he taught me how to drive the tractor when I was like 15. Uh, But every day after that work, I would go into the stand and I would take whatever cash he gave me. And then I would buy a Nestle quick um, and two fried cakes. <laughs> <laughs> I did that, that. That's just what I did. Um, right. Luckily, that didn't that weight didn't catch up to me until like my 30s. But uh,
1: you know what the the there's a lot of value in those stories, though, because I have the same story in that uh, one of the kids at school when I was about Fifth grade, uh, had a uh, hostess fruit pie, a blackberry hostess fruit pie, and I was able to get some of that. And I had never had anything like that. I didn't even eat, eat at a restaurant until, until I started working at one. Uh, and that hostess fruit pie, that blackberry specifically hostess fruit pie, I used to lay in bed at night and fantasize about having a garage full of them. And when I got big, I was going to have them by the cases and just have as many as I could possibly eat. And so I'm not saying the hostess fruit pie is what drove me to my success, but it was that kind of, uh, that that want of something more along those lines, because I couldn't even afford a hostess fruit pie that drove me then to go to work. Like I said, that work-food uh, connection, I should have included work, sweets,
0: work. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, cake, pie, whatever it was.
0: No, that makes sense because my friends, um, my friends, I know my parents struggled for a long time and then, but my friends would just be given things like new bikes would show up. If I wanted a bike, I had to save my money at the farm and buy the bike. Right. Um, so this, this, my mother just told the story and she got, and I had forgotten about it, but, um, and then I want to get back to what you said. I, I'm sorry. I saw a squirrel. I'm chasing it. Um, but like, she bought me this skateboard that I'd wanted for a long time. So I like, I don't know how long, like, uh, but apparently it was, you know, it was like a, one of the Tony Hawk ones, I, you know, I mean, you were about the same age. You're three years older than I am. I think you said you were 50, but so like, you know, Tony Hawk skateboarding, that was like huge. So I got the the skateboard and and I had it for a little while and I sold it because I and I sold it for more than she bought it for and I pocketed the money. Nice. Um, and then I had a bike. Um, the other story, this this one that that one actually caused a lot of scorn with my mother. She was mad about that. Um, I didn't realize that. Uh, but anyway, like my dad was proud of this one. So like I had a bike. I was maybe twelve or thirteen. And it, I was doing something stupid like children do on their bikes. Um, and it the frame broke. Like, I mean, uh, the frame broke. It was not repairable. Like, unless we could find a welder, this was not getting fixed. So I took the entire bike apart and I sold all the parts. And then I had enough money um, and my dad met me halfway and I got a new bike. Art. Survival instance
1: right there. That's the... Uh... That's exactly the kind of thing that uh,
0: that I would have done. So it's just, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like you and, you and I were uh, maybe not the same walk, but definitely some similarities. So the last part of when you were telling the definition of success, you were mentioning, um, and my notes are chicken scratch, so I'm going to butcher this and you're going to correct me, which I appreciate. So thank you in advance. But sometimes what you're good at doesn't necessarily match what you're passionate about. Um, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Can you just expand on that a little bit? I know I just butchered that, but can you just correct that and and explain that more?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you know through social media and through people who have been successful, what you see all of the time is you know do what you're passionate about, put your job and do, it. follow your passion, and 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 you can't achieve a full life unless you're doing what you love. Way to achieve success is to make sure that you love to open your eyes in the morning, and go to work. And I chafe against that 100%. I couldn't disagree more with what I think is the overarching orthodoxy in society today, which is to chase what, you, what you're passionate about. And let me tell you why. If you're chasing success and you want to have success, I belong to a CEO uh, and this CEO group, we've been together for 20 years and it's kind of serves as my board and I serve as their board. You get together once a month and kind of talk about each other's businesses. You have lunch, you kind of get to learn what's going on. They might have ideas for you. You have ideas for them. Uh, and there's over the years, there's been probably 20 of us. So I know 20 intimate company, I know 20 companies intimately that were started by, from scratch by entrepreneurs and none of them were what they were passionate about. But you know what they were, David?
2: They were good opportunity. at it. But, they, they were, were...
1: opportunities. And they were opportunities that were taken by each one of these individuals. I'll take it a step further and say I know probably 40 business owners. And of the 40 business owners that I know that are successful and have made some a little bit of money and some gigantic sums of money, none of them that I'm aware of do it in the thing that they're passionate about. And so what I tell people is on our way to working or on our way of try to earn success doing what we're passionate about, we'd be so focused on that passion that we miss the opportunity that walks by right in front of it. In my time, uh, I started off, I probably have had 25, I, I've had some of the worst jobs you can ever imagine. Uh, and I probably had 25 of them before at 28 years old I started my own company and in that uh now I lost my train of thought I started my own company when I was 28 uh sorry you're talking
0: about the opportunity quotient and that um a lot of the your compatriots yes
1: Uh, right I'm sorry and so each one of those people uh again started from scratch i started mine when i was 28 years old and it wasn't passionate i wasn't anything i was passionate about it happened to be something i was good at so i was good at uh, you know the last job i ended up getting was a job with a mess uh, when i was 21 22 years old because i liked to to drive and then when i was 23 years old i moved in and started the dispatch and then when i was 28 years old somebody approached me about starting my own business and off I went and I, and I did that. And, again, I didn't grow up wanting to be a dispatcher or an operations manager for a courier company. Um, I, I didn't grow up wanting to. Ultimately, I've owned gas stations, car washes, convenience stores, and uh, management companies. And I develop property and I have industrial property. And I went into all of these other businesses, none of which did I want to go into, Uh, As a child, none of which was I passionate about, you know, in my 20s, but each one of them were opportunities that walked in front of me that I jumped on and took advantage of um, having nothing to do with my passion. So I'm really about opportunities and people taking advantage of opportunities and and exploit those opportunities so that you can then go do what you're passionate about.
0: I, I have to agree with you 100%. And uh, he, here's why. So I'm going to give you a, a little David story. So my, my passion, if I followed my passion, wouldn't pay any of the bills. And paying bills is a necessary evil. And I'm not saying that I'm not happy. And if I did my passion, I might be happy. So my passion is, is uh, guitars. So I do play but I'm not like a player. What I'm passionate about is the making of them, the, you know, how it's all put together. Like I would be a luthier if I didn't have to have any money. Um, The other thing is um, I collect, so I collect guitars and I collect watches and I really appreciate the mechanics that go into a watch, but I'm not skilled. I mean, being a watchmaker is like incredibly skilled, detailed, like, cross your eyes kind of like work. And I'm not suited for that type of long concentration. I I see too many squirrels and there would nary be a watch ever made. Um, But I do know my strengths and I do play to those strengths and it's the same. Another boring story for you real quick. Well, might not be so boring to some because a lot of them were the students that I coached on the soccer team. So Sorry, guys, I didn't mean to call you boring, but I coached my my son's soccer team and my daughter's soccer team when they were younger, and I didn't take the same approach other coaches took. Uh, yeah, I taught some basic skills and I did some things, but you know, two of the teams were rec teams, one was an actual travel team, and we had a, a curriculum, so I'm not counting that and I'm just talking about the two like extracurricular teams. What I did though was is I discovered each child's individual strength and when i put the team roster together and we played a game i played them to their strengths and we won every year like not not that it was i mean it's a rec league i don't want to diminish it but you know we we won they played to their strengths and you know what they were still happy they were happy everybody was good um there is a lot of good things that come from knowing your strengths and using those, um, I mean, if you're one of those unicorns that can find your passion and then turn that into monetary success, then have at it
2: uh, and, and that's
0: and that's perfect
1: to use that that term unicorns because I think we you know the, the, the social media is not real, right? What we see is not real. So you you think so much about I'm doing my passion and I'm a billionaire. Like you probably have a thousand companies that, that you don't particularly like, but that you like that they make you money. And so I think it's been my experience, and I and I love that term that word unicorn. It's been my experience that successful business people, uh, they they are a unicorn if they're doing what they're truly passionate about. I love to play pool, and so I've. Made money and been successful, and I now get to play pool. I didn't play pool for 25 years while I was growing my business, but I love to play pool, and now I have time to go play pool uh, as much as I want to. I would love to make a living playing pool. That's my passion. I can play pool for 15 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, and never get tired of it, but I can't make money playing pool. So, therefore, I can't follow my passion uh, and and make a living so i've taken advantage of opportunities as they've come across which then allow me like i said to to follow my passion so that's that's it's just one of those um it, it, particularly when you're a poor kid and you come from where i am where i come from and you're told follow your passion and your passion is you know uh video, playing playing video games professionally but one in a trillion kids get to play video games professionally. But you're so stuck on playing video games professionally that you miss, again, opportunity after opportunity as it walks in front of you. And I don't think that that is, that's certainly for me and all of the business owners that I know, any kind of recipe for success.
0: Okay, so there's two thoughts that I want to, I'm going to throw these out there and hopefully we'll both remember. Um, Let me write the other one down. Hold on a second. Everybody talks amongst yourselves. I have to write a note down.
1: Is this the pregnant
0: pause? This is the pregnant pause and it's okay to have the pregnant pause because I'm sincerely interested in what I want. I I need to make this so, so important that I have to write this down, but I think I just forgot it. Um, Oh, okay. I got it. I remembered. I wrote a little note. Sorry everybody that you had to listen to that, but you guys know me well enough now. Um, So one, and I'm going to say these both now and then we'll, we'll dissect them. One is how, do you find the opportunity? But I don't think find is the right word. What I think I want to change that to is the word appreciate. So how do we how do we appreciate the opportunity in front of us? And number two, and I think they kinda of go hand in hand, Jerry. That's why I'm kind of saying them both, is that I like the my my audience has heard me talk about people need to look at themselves in the mirror. And it's very difficult thing to stand in front of a mirror. Uh, metaphorical mirror and really look deeply into yourself and realize I'm okay at video games but I'm not going to make it to the top so that's what I mean by when I talk about looking in the mirror I'm talking about more along self-discovery kind of lines but I think that falls into that so how do we get somebody to look in the mirror long enough to realize number one that they're really not going to be a professional, uh, you know, gamer? You know, like for example, uh, I'm not a professional luthier. Uh, I'm not on the stage with uh, Eddie Van Halen, and uh, you know, and or whatever. I mean, but how do we help people make that association so they can appreciate the opportunities
2: presented? think that that that's kind of two questions and they're and they're they're they're
1: separate i'll answer the second one first and that is that i preach if you ask me you know jerry you've had all of this success in life how did you do it It, it, critical among it is introspection and self-awareness so I, i i got some great advice one time i have a huge ego Right? I've survived what I've survived, gotten through what I've gotten through, and I was terrible when I was a younger kid, but as I've gotten older, I have this huge ego, but I don't forget where I've come from, and so I'm humble, and I had somebody tell me one time, it's fine as long as you're humble to have a big ego. Big ego always gets knocked uh, in popular culture, and it's it's a negative connotation to have a big ego, and I found it to be exactly the opposite. The big ego has allowed me to take kind of the slings and arrows and and the stress and everything else that comes at you when you're trying to take advantage of those opportunities, growing a business, trying to be successful, because you can't hurt my feelings. And I don't need to have everything be about me. It can be about everybody else. I always say about a good manager is somebody who gets other people to do what he wants them to and let them think it's their idea. That's a good manager. So if I'm wrong 100 times a day, but the company's humming along and I'm making money, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And so that introspection uh, and that self-awareness combined with a a big ego and a good dash of humility to me is critical to success and to then finding those opportunities and taking advantage of them. Because particularly when we're young, you know, we just know everything. And the world is just right there in front of us. So nobody's going to tell us anything. And I think as we get older and life starts to teach us lessons, it becomes easier and easier if we're open to it, to that introspection and that self-awareness. Now the flip side of that is true also. Obviously, uh, we all know people that as they get older, uh, it gets worse and worse. And no helping them. So I think that 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 second part of your question. Uh, and I would call it aware, self-awareness and introspection uh, are are absolutely
2: critical to success.
0: I agree, um, because if you're not, I mean, if you're not aware of, let's just let let me just break it down this way: if you're not aware of where you're walking you're not self-aware enough to know that the concrete in front of you has a crack in it or there's a pothole, you're going in the pothole. You're going to trip on the crack every time if you're not self-aware. And that's just a physical example. um, But there are many facets to be self-aware. I mean, everybody's heard. I'm just going to throw out some industry buzzwords. that I'm sure Jerry knows EQ and IQ. There's emotional intelligence. There's your actual, like, intelligence quotient and there's a whole bunch of stuff but it all boils down to being self-aware and and I, I I'm not gonna continue on. Jerry 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 summed it up. Listen to him. Um in one thing of, go ahead.
1: In terms of how to find
0: opportunities. Yep, that's where I was just gonna head.
1: Yeah in terms of finding opportunities this is a cliche. It is Unfortunately, an overused cliche to the point where I don't think that it means it carries the meaning that it should. But when you're talking about success, there is one thing that guarantees you won't have it at whatever you want to do marriage, life, business, as an employee, get promoted, be a cop, military, whatever the thing is that you're doing. There's one thing that will guarantee that you don't have the success that you should. Which is your inability to work hard. So hard work and that's why I said it's, it's an overused cliche because it's beginning to lose its meaning. I don't know anybody uh, that's been successful that doesn't work hard at. It. I've been married for 22 years, and there have been, uh, been tough times and there have been good times, but you work hard at. It. Uh, you know, I've been in business now, my business just turned, is about to turn 21 years old. And for the first 15, 16 years of it, it was literally 15 to 18 hours a day, six, seven days a week. And, and, and it takes an inordinate amount of, of, of effort to make something like that happen. And so if you are not willing to work hard, if you're not willing to sacrifice and put the time in, then there's no way that you're going to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. And in terms of how do you find them, you just got to keep your eyes open. But that means you can't be sitting in a, in a basement playing video games. We'll just pick on video games. We, you know, you can't be sitting on a, in, in a basement doing that. You can't be sitting at home watching television. You have to be out. You have to be making contact. And a lot of times that will happen. For me, it happened out of work. And so in those 25-odd jobs, I ran across a whole ton of people who taught me a little bit each time. And I learned more about myself and what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And ultimately, when I finally made the jump, I was—I kind of had enough common knowledge that I had brought together to make a reasonable decision uh, because I was willing to listen. So those the opportunity presented itself, and I took advantage of that opportunity, which was a huge risk for me. I just had a son at home, uh, so I have a brand new baby, my first one. My wife was going to stay home. We had a half-built addition on our house, and I quit my job. So finding the opportunity and taking advantage of those opportunities is going to require risk, and it's going to require work, and it's going to require stress. And and, and, and all of the things that go into it, you have to be willing to sacrifice to get that. If you are not, then, in my opinion, you can't complain about being average can't complain about your lot in life because if you're sitting there for some people that works some people they like that and they like the 9 to 5 and they like to know that they're on the bus at 7:30 and they get home at 5:15 and dinner's here and, and 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 television is there and then they go to bed and start the day all over again and i appreciate in fact sometimes i'm jealous of that i appreciate that there are people who do that i'm talking about the people who speak like they want to do something different but never do and complain incessantly about it well it's never going to happen for you because the only way you take advantage of those opportunities, uh, is as I just described.
0: Yeah. I I think, um, if you're not willing to make a change, you can't complain about there not being any change. Um,
1: yes. So if you you find yourself to anybody listening, if you find yourself, uh, commiserating with your other employees about the boss and you have, uh, your sights set on moving somewhere, you know, moving up in the company, you're you're making a tremendous mistake. You're fooling yourself because if you commiserate with your fellow employees, uh, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. If you care about what they think, you're part of the problem and not the solution. You can't care about what other people think. I always said if I worked in an office, every job I had, I'll do everyone's job because I just don't care. So if there's five people, I'll do all five people's job and I don't care if they even come in and I don't care that they get all the credit. Right. Because over time, over weeks, months, years, you're going to come out ahead. Almost guarantee you that that's going to be your reality or stand around the water cooler and complain with everybody else about how much you hate the ball.
0: I think if you're well, I think in in that analogy, just to I I agree with you, Uh, if you're standing around the water cooler, you're really not doing anything productive with your time. And in your example, if you're doing everybody else's job, you're actually being productive with your time. Uh, You're learning, number one, because if you you don't know everybody's job, right? But you'll learn it, and then that will be get success on its own. Um, I think the way that you described it is finding opportunity is kind of the way that I talk about. I've talked about this in previous shows, is that there's the science of luck, that luck doesn't necessarily exist but there is a science to it. Um, Luck, let me me rephrase that. Luck as an ethereal outside force doesn't exist. Luck exists because people are looking for, for it. So the person who finds $20 in the middle of the road that bends over, picks it up, and then associates that with a good feeling Uh, they're going to experience good all day long. The person who picks up the $20 and complains that it was muddy is then going to get coffee spilled on them and have a bad day. So because they're looking for bad things. So it sounds like if we're open to opportunities, we will actually see
2: them and find them.
1: Yes. And being open to opportunities of being open to disappointment. So you have to be able to be disappointed. you have to be able to hear no in order to take advantage of opportunity. I think that's that's the tough part because you may have to go through 20 opportunities before you found one that worked. and 20 opportunities might result in 200 no. and that's just the reality of it. but it might be that 21st opportunity that you pushed your way through and that you take, and the and 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 what you learned from the previous twenty opportunities that then allow you to take advantage of that twenty-first one, and th- and that's that's everybody's story that comes from that started at zero and was successful, and I and by zero I mean started a brand new company. I don't care what their background is. The stories are largely the same.
0: There's um and and. I- if somebody out there listening wants to figure this out, please remind me. But there's a, a famous lead singer from a group um, who said it, it, it took us eight years to become an overnight success. And they were yeah. plugging away, plugging away, plugging away behind the scenes that, well, local scenes, but not to the masses. And then they got one, that one hit that took off and went, in today's word, viral. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, wow, they're an overnight success. Um, but they were like, he was like, no, we've been working at this for eight years. There is no plan B for us. There was only plan A. This was always only plan A. And it took us eight years of hard work and dedication to become an overnight success. And I think that goes into something that I like to tell people, Jerry, is that if it was easy, everybody would do it.
1: That's true. Yes. And and, and the, the, the part I would add about that, eight years to be an overnight success. Just personally, uh, is when I was a kid, I if I saw somebody in a in my day be like a Lamb if I ever even spotted a Kuntosh, I was like, wow, you know, I want to be that person. I wonder what he does. Uh, he or she does. How did they get to be uh that person? If they lived in a big house, I wanted to have that big house and I would I would daydream about knocking on the door and asking them, What do you do for a living? How do I get to have a big house like uh, like that? And it, I took that approach as I got older in life with me. And so as I got successful, I have a big car collection. And so as I bought some pretty high end cars, I'm kind of have the windows tinted and like to keep them up because I love driving the cars, but I hate the attention that it gets me. And one of the things that does that I have a, I have uh, Employees, and I've had about 10,000 employees over the years. And the employees only see the car. They don't see the 15 to 18-hour days for 20 years. They don't see uh, the time missed and the vacations missed and the stress of having to come up with payroll money and all the things that go with, with growing a company and all of the, uh, all of the pain and agony uh, that, that, that goes with growing a successful business. They only see the car. So they're like, wow, well, look at Mr. Rich, dude. And again, you know, it doesn't do any good for me to sit there and say, look, I was on the streets when I was 17 years old and I've earned everything I have because they only see the car and not the person. And they're not introspective enough. And this is where that word comes back to ask, how did you get there rather than just assume? Because I think when we assume that, when we look at that and go, oh, they're an overnight success. It must be nice. All the hard work I do is for nothing. And then You get to feel better about yourself by self commiserating, and that's that should be your trigger right there. That and, and that word trigger has been absconded with <laughs> the true meaning of it, isn't actual anymore. But you know, that should be your trigger in yourself right there to go, Wait a minute, why am I jealous? Why am I mad? Why am I thinking about it this way? But regardless of how they got there, I'm sure there's more to the story, you know, rather than immediately go to that self flatulation that we do, uh, where we Flagellation, I should say, where we kind of beat up on ourselves, right, to make ourselves feel better, and I think that is uh, one of the more common occurrences, at least in my experience, uh, having dealt with as many boys as I've had and many people as I've come
0: across. Well, per- perception is reality, I think, and uh, their perception, like you described very well, the, you know, they see the car. They equate that to success, but they don't that's where it stops and and again, that's part of the reason for the show and to talking to people like yourselves and all my other guests, is there's so much more beyond these things. Nothing is ever surface level i mean if somebody if somebody out there may maybe Jerry has an example, I don't know, but if there's anything that's surface level, please somebody let me know what that is, but I found over my time on this earth that nothing is ever as simple as it seems. Right, And you've got Jerry in his nice car who he's worked for. It was something, it was a goal. This was his goal. And he set a goal and he attained it through hard blood, sweat, and tears. And I agree with you um, that people don't fully understand the stress that comes along with trying to make payroll.
2: absolutely true i couldn't agree I, more. I
0: don't i don't think that we can well i i'm i know the stress and it is something it is a weight because you have all of these people that are dependent on you and they are you're dependent on them it's a symbiotic relationship because you want them to be successful they they want the you know you want the company to be successful everybody we all succeed together i guess you know kumbaya you know campfires marshmallows all that great stuff but the pressure to meet payroll. There are sacrifices that need to be made to make payroll. Sometimes when we make payroll for you, we don't make payroll for us. That's exactly right. And we are willing, these are things that we are willing to do. And Jerry, I'm, I'm speaking for you on the, through my own experience. Um, so if I'm wrong, let me know, but I'm just getting a feel for who you are as a person is that you've done this, like, we will sacrifice ourselves to make sure payroll gets met. And, you know, obviously, Jerry, you've been very successful. Um, I've attained some success, not quite at your level, but some that decisions were made to make payroll. And myself and some of the other air quote execs, leaders of the business, you know, we, we suffered to make sure that everybody did in those hard times. But you know what? We got through those hard times And we were highly successful. So, but there's a burden that comes with that. And I think people, that's part of the perception, right? So if I could, so talking about, oh, look, Jerry's got this sexy life. He's got this house. He's got this car. He runs this awesome company. Like he's just got money flowing like H2O around this place. You know, I'm just, uh, obviously I'm, I'm exaggerating
2: to make a point, but Gray
0: hairs are earned. <laughs> I got a whole head full of white hair for a reason, I'm sure, um, plus genetic premature graying, but that's beside the point. I'm making a point here. Um, there's a lot of stress that comes with, you You talked about it, Jerry, there's a lot of stress that comes with the success. And we're not saying, I don't want to, I want to be clear, we're not saying that to highlight the negative. We're just saying that you have to be willing, if your version of success is is Jerry's life with the nice car collection and the, and the awesome business? Um, you and you want to talk to him and have a sincere conversation. You're, I, you'll get a real answer on what it took to get there, but let's not assume that it was an easy path, uh, because Jerry didn't inherit a business from his dad. That does happen. Believe me, I, I, I have friends that have passed down businesses to their, to their children. Um, some of them have made them work very hard for it, uh, and then, you know, a couple have just, you know, here you go, just don't ruin it. Uh, but that's not Jerry's case. That's not the case for many. That's, I think you know, we see that's that on not TV.
1: The for, uh, not the case for both.
0: W- yeah. We see that on TV. TV is not reality. Again, perception is reality, people. like I need you to go beyond the surface level. Dig a little deeper. That's all I ask of everybody.
1: And, um, and to your point about television isn't reality, uh, I, I have uh, on my on the Jerry Bracey podcast, uh, constantly this is something that I've hammered home more times than I can tell, uh, which is that reality television has nothing to do with reality. I'm a car guy. And so you watch these car building shows, and they do things, Three days or a week, that's just not humanly possible. Uh, I watch these flipping shows for real estate flipping. I flipped lots of houses. None of the things that they do on any of these shows bear any resemblance at all to reality. Uh, the real estate shows where they sell real estate, again, nothing based on any kind of reality, not at least reality as I've experienced it, having actually done all of these things. Hundreds of times, so it, your 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 statement about reality could not be more true. Particularly, you said reality TV because that's a pet peeve of mine. Because reality TV is reality I TV think that, is scripted. I mean,
0: and, and the producers. Yeah, that's,
1: the, that's what people see, and this is part of my message and why I'm here on the podcast. My my message is that. That that what you see in popular culture, what you read in the magazine, uh, what you see on Instagram is not reality in almost every case. So this perception that you know the I, I think the perception of rich people are is an actor or an actress. Uh, what is it? There's something like 200 active actors and actresses that actually are making a living in college That's it, right? So there's however many tens of millions of people live in California. And, 340 million people in the United States, and there's something like 200 active actors and actresses making uh, a living doing it. So Of course, they make huge amounts of money, but their lives aren't reality. That's not what you should aspire to. That's not how success is made. That's the unicorn that you were talking about. I'll put it in business perspective. The unicorn is these businesses that are three or four or six months old, and all of a sudden they've achieved a billion-dollar valuation. Yes, it absolutely happens. They created an app, the app hit, and a year and a half, two years, three years in, it's worth a billion dollars, and somebody comes in and swoops them up. That unicorn absolutely exists, but what's lost is the, I don't know how many, it's got to be thousands of apps every day that fail and disappear, and nobody sees those thousands of apps. They only see the one, and they go, well, that's what I'm going to do, and look how easy, and look at the life, 28 years old, and he's living it. And I'm here to tell you that's not how success is made. that's not how it's found. That's the unicorn that never happens and so if your expectation is is that what you're, that's what you're going to get you're going to be sorely disappointed and that's really, David, what I'm trying to avoid uh, people doing. I'm trying to be honest with them and tell them the truth. The payoffs are huge. Uh, the mentally, when you've achieved something like this, it's significant. Uh, the lessons that you learn along the way are fantastic. the benefits can be tremendous but it takes an inordinate amount of work amount of work
0: it does and you have to be willing to do it um what was i going to say i say something all the time and i forgot to write it down while you were talking because i was listening and i didn't want to miss it but then i forgot what i was going to say um oh well it'll come back to me and if it doesn't then eh, oh well i'll just blame it on old age um now oh, it's going to bother me Anyway, uh, what I will say is, uh, and hopefully by talking about this, it'll come back to me, is that I know people who have been on shows such as House Hunters. And those
2: shows are scripted. Right. Because, spoiler alert, the people already own the house they're picking.
0: Right. It's not a shock when they go out and they're like, you know, well, you know, I don't like the way that this uh, sconce looks on the wall. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're told by the producers to nitpick their own house. And then they go see some other random houses and then lo and behold, they go back, oh, we want this one. And then they do the end three months later. That's because they already live there. It's not three months later. It's the next day. Right. I mean, Right. Reality TV. It's it's it. It, it, it's it's not real.
1: And the other thing uh, too, while we're while we're hammering on this point, uh, the other thing that I, I I just encourage anybody that wants to take my advice about
2: these things
1: are uh, paying any kind of money at any kind of seminar uh, that promises you quick and easy. And so there's there's in particular flipping seminars. Uh, again, as somebody who's flipped more houses than I can count it's about the most difficult thing to do in the world and if somebody is selling you a here's what I would never do I would never take all of the information that I have about flipping houses and sell it I live in Portland Oregon sell it to everybody in Portland Oregon because then there's no more houses for me to flip because I've just created 5,000 more competitors uh, for a steadily dwindling number of houses why would I do that if I have the secret formula. Uh, to flipping houses, and I have the way to extract the most benefit with the least amount of work. If I did that, would I want anybody else to know that? No, obviously. Uh, And yet there are people who who will do that, uh, you know, bring you to the free seminar. Nothing's ever free. And ultimately (laughs) I have seen people at these seminars end up spending thousands of dollars that they take off their home equity line. Uh, because they're going to become house flippers and they never buy a single house. So uh, that kind of thinking through the process, yeah, why in the world would somebody want to sell that to us? Because they're taking advantage of of your dreams for a lifestyle that you see on television that you would like to attain. And they give you that shortcut. And it's so enticing. And it, it just tastes so good. And oh, Look at how well they market it, and how well they show it to us. And then you jump and I promise you, you'll be sorry because that's not what, again, what reality is, which brings me back to my message about how beneficial it can be, but how hard the work it it, just, nothing's free and nothing ever happens. And you can't get rich quick without a lot of hard work. Uh,
0: Nothing, nothing in life is free. Uh, It's really not the, uh, you know, the free air quote vacation that you're getting and the two hour seminar, which is really like a four hour seminar that you have to go to. That's not free. That's your time. They're stealing your yeah. time right. and you're getting one night and what, maybe a snack. Is it really worth it? Right. It's not. Um, actually, you know what is free? Smiles. Smiles are free. People can give those out all they want. So right. feel free to, to do that to, to tomorrow or whenever. Um, definitely do that so Jerry as a CEO multiple business owner member of the Illuminati no I'm just kidding Um, I'm just teasing you because you're either a member of YPO or Vistage one of the two or maybe there's some other third group I don't know Um, how people might find you unapproachable like not because you are unapproachable but just because their perception of somebody with your success rate and your position and stature might be unapproachable. And they might be looking for a mentor or they might be looking, mentor might be, that's a long-term project. You might not be wanting to take on a mentee, but they might be looking for some advice, but they might perceive you to be unapproachable. I don't think that's the case or else you wouldn't be doing a podcast uh, and you wouldn't be on this show talking about that. However, how would you coach somebody right now who might be listening to not be afraid to go knock on the door or to send the email or to set an appointment on somebody's calendar because they're the person that is successful doing what they want to do. Like your advice earlier, go talk to that person. How, how does somebody who might be a little shy or somebody who might
2: have the wrong perception? Uh, I, th- I think that
1: here's how I... That's it, such a great question, too. I'm glad you asked that one. I need to ask that question more often. Because um, I, I think that we are inherently, we humans, particularly here in America, are uh, passive-aggressive by nature. So, again, I'm going to kind of... Compass everybody in this in this basket, and say that 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 the average people that I come across are passive aggressive. So what we do is, yeah, the boss says good morning to us, and we say good night to him and or her when we leave. Uh, and there is this perception of what that person is uh, because they have such impact on your day to day life. And so we make it out. What passive aggressive people do is they make out the confrontation. Well, it's confrontation. They make out the conversation, excuse me, mm-hmm. to be much worse than what it is in reality. And I don't need, I don't know a single passive aggressive person who I have counseled about being passive aggressive that then went into that thing that scared them and they were like, oh man, that was so easy. I, I made this up to be something in my head that it's not, uh, and it never is. It's I'm sure there's, but rarely is it ever nearly as bad as you think it is. So in answering your question, I always like to start with that because I say to anybody who wants to, come talk. And I'm as approachable a person, and I'm as down-to-earth a person as you will find, and that is every CEO that I know. I don't know any CEOs that don't want somebody to come in and approach. Do they exist? I'm sure they do. I don't know any, and I know about 40. So out of the 40 that I know, they're all plain, regular folks just like everybody else. Uh, I'd say, I say, you know, again, I'm a great example. I come from absolutely zero. So when I've gotten to where I am, I can commiserate with my customer service rep that's having trouble making her electric bill. Because I used to, I remember, I would call Portland General Electric, and the lady told me something. She says that I'll never forget. She said, "Just send us something, Gary. You owe two or three hundred dollars," and I sent him twenty-five dollars. And she said, as long as we see activity, we'll keep the the lights on. So I sent them twenty-five dollars. I mean, that's where I've been. I stole food to eat, and so I understand from that perspective uh, what it's like as you're looking up. And so I encourage everybody to come and talk to me as much as they can or as much as they want to, and not be scared about it. And this is what I would—that's how I would answer your question. That's more CEOs, not less. In fact, I think it's the largest the large majority of us want to hear more. But you know how we hear things is second, third hand. And we'd go, well, why in the hell didn't Billy just bring that to me directly? That doesn't make any sense. And then you go ask Billy and he's like, oh, I thought you'd yell at me or I thought you'd be or You know, I thought, well, I was ratting out on somebody else or what, whatever all of the reasons are uh, that that happens. Directly answering your question, most people are approachable, particularly the higher up, you get in the food chain, the more approachable they are. Because there's a reason that they're the boss. They're the reason that they're the CEO, right? There's a reason why they have a successful company. And they didn't get a successful company by not having conversations. And they certainly didn't get a successful company by having hard conversations. And that's the conversation that scares so many people. Let's say you want a raise, right? But you're scared to go ask for a raise. If you want a raise, the chances are that CEO, that person in charge wants to know about it. I know I do. If you think you're worth more, come talk to me about why you why you're worth more. But this is where that passive aggressiveness starts to build in. This is where we start to talk to ourselves, that inner demon that says he's not going to give me more. And I've done so much for this company and I've done all of these things. And part of it is you're going to go you're going to come in and you know you have to be honest with yourself in your head. You can't get away from it. And more often than not, you come in, you sit down, you say, I want to raise and then the boss is going to go through with you all of the things that maybe you don't do as well as you think you do, and that if you improve on these, you can get one. Well, you don't want to hear that. You want to walk in and get a raise right there rather than being realistic with yourself about what you need to work on. So all of these forces are at work against you. Some of this is bred into us. Some of it is just society that stops us from going and having these conversations and and I can't encourage people enough to go and to talk to, particularly the higher up boss that you can find, the better. Because I promise you, nine times out of ten, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, they're going to want to talk. And if I can, I know I've kind of got long-winded on this one, David. Just to add to that, I see. Just I'll just speak for myself. The reason I'm doing this, and and, and I'm, I'm I'm giving this insight, and I'm talking to these people again hundreds of million dollars in revenue i've had tens of thousands of employees i've owned 12 or 15 different companies i see m- so much more in people than they see in themselves
2: hmm, i I, agree.
1: I know where i i know what's humanly possible because you know i saw three or four murders by the time i was 21 years old and four suicides i i lived a life of violence and on the streets until i was in my early 20s so I know what the worst that, you know, I was stealing when I was seven, eight, nine years old to eat. I know the worst that people can throw at you, but it's also shown me what's possible. And what's possible and what most people do are completely different. That's probably one of the greatest disappointments for me personally in my life is just what people are capable of. They have no idea and they don't take advantage of of like we talked about earlier opportunities because they're scared and they're scared because they don't know they don't know what they're capable of
0: I agree people don't people don't know what they're capable of, of and for for some reason I find people don't feel like they deserve it and I don't understand where that comes from either um I don't know if you've ever come across that but I definitely have come across my fair share of people who feel like they don't deserve it and what I mean by that is um, and I'm glad you touched on this because it's one of the things that drives me nuts and I do talk about it, is that the the internal self-dialogue. So when I'm, I'm just gonna paint a picture. I'm working at one of Jerry's companies, um, a junior associate someplace, pick a department in your head listening, you know, whatever that associates with. I want to talk to Jerry, he's the CEO. He's maybe three or four levels, maybe five levels above me, who cares? but i'm like okay i really i have this desire i want to talk to him i've seen him do company presentations at the financial meetings or maybe he's done an all hands meeting or something he seems like a good guy i want to talk to him but then i start thinking about it and then my perception of who he is takes over and maybe it's a little negative maybe i'm like in my head i go through this conversation i have this internal dialogue and it just goes crazy like some sort of bad train wreck when in reality, that's, that's the internal perception of a conversation, and, and Jerry touched on it and he did a better job of explaining it, I think. But in reality, it's, it takes a lot of courage to approach somebody
2: in an executive role. It really does. But
0: you need to know that Jerry's right. Most of those people that are there they like that kind of interaction because you know what? They rarely get it, and they do enjoy it, and they want to help sincerely. And would,
1: you, would you rather know uh, if 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 you weren't doing the job that you think you are? Wouldn't you rather know that so you could work on it and get yourself moving forward relative to what the boss believes? I mean, you can believe whatever you want, and you can think that the boss is full of it, also. But at the end of the day, that's the person that you have to happy and i always said to myself that's i want to know what that person's thinking because that's the person that i have to make happy uh but along with this david comes success is found in the uncomfortable and and again success might be that next promotion or that next raise you're looking for. and it's found in the uncomfortable so life is never comfortable but we want life to be comfortable we want all of these things to come to us uh without without us doing any more effort than what we put into it. We don't want to have to work extra hard for it. We want people to acknowledge what we've done and then bring us the riches. Well, I'm telling you that that is never how it works. And so you have to, like you said, going and talking to that boss can be very uncomfortable. Yes, it is, and it can be. But understand that that uncomfortable, you you want to grab that. You want to run with that. You want to go, this is making me sick. I can feel it in my stomach that's your key that you need to go do that thing that you're talking about that's telling you right there go do it um, because when you're working in the uncomfortable that place that nobody else wants to work that's when opportunities are going to hit you that's when you're going to all of a sudden that boss knows who you are and he's impressed or she's impressed because you came and talked to him and 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 you could actually talk and you actually had something to say and so when he's thinking about whoever's getting promoted the next time he's like hey what about that girl came in and talked to me? I don't remember her
2: name, but she works in this department. That's how things happen. That's how it works.
0: That is exactly how it happens. Because so many other people will not have that conversation because they're afraid. And, And I think that what we're trying to say, and again, I'm going to speak for you, Jerry, is that it's okay to be afraid. You can be afraid to approach a Jerry. You can, but you need to look at that fear in the face and figure out well why are you afraid? I mean at the end of the day uh, let me ask you a few questions. Jerry, do you have blood in your veins like everybody else on the planet? Yes. Do you do you breathe the air that we all breathe? I do every day. Right. I'm I'm sure you probably eat and and you you probably wear clothes like the rest of us too. I do, yes. So I'm thinking that makes you pretty much a human being and that's pretty pretty equal playing ground when you want to think of it that way,
1: right? I I, I put it in uh, in react or in uh, in celebrity terms. I I hate celebrities. You know I I I my my heroes are 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 people that uh, that don't necessarily. I'm a big sports fan, uh, but I hate celebrities because celebrities are held up as, as 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 some kind of something special or different, and they're not. They're to me, they're just. Everyday human beings. And there's nothing special about them short of what they're able to do for a living. Uh, And so holding them up on kind of a pedestal, I think, is an impediment to us reaching forward and going after our success because you look at that and you go, well, I could never achieve that. I could never get there. And you hold them up like they're a God, not realizing that they're not a God. They're just a normal, everyday person, just like you are. They just happen to have gotten lucky. And they have a certain skill that puts them in the limelight, and people know who they are. But they're no better or any worse than you. I don't care if you're a dishwasher at at International House of Pancakes, which was a job I did when I was 12 years old, I might mention. Uh, There's still people just like you. No better, no worse. But we make them better or
2: worse, typically better, uh, for some reason that for my lifetime escaped. I don't I lose fade, you, yeah, you faded out of me a little bit, there we go,
0: so think we're yeah, think we're, we're, we're yeah we're we're good, so fun funny story, so, like I actually also like in in my teens, I had um i i I carried multiple jobs, and I don't know that i I don't know that if you talked to people in high school that I went with that they would know that I did that, they just knew I was the kid that left. I got, I got a lot of classes out of the way. So, when my senior year, I only had three classes, and one was required gym. So, I don't really count that as a real PE. But uh, so I was out and I would go work. I had three jobs um, pretty much at all times. Uh, but once, once I was a dishwasher at one restaurant, I was a busser at a different restaurant, and I was a server, a waiter at a different restaurant all at the same time.
1: I always, when it comes to jobs, I tell this. Story all of the time, starting when I was 11. I always left one job because the next job paid me more. So if you would pay me more, regardless of what the job was, I would go do it. And if you needed something done on a job and I didn't know how to do it, I said yes and then figured it out. And trust me, we don't have time to talk about it on the podcast, but I have story after story about where that did not necessarily uh, benefit. But I just did it anyway because. You know, the money uh, was so good. And I'm talking about a job, $4 an hour to $5 or to $7. I remember when I was 20 years old, I could tell you exactly how I would spend $10 an hour, how I would live on $10 an hour. And so uh, I, for me, I had so many jobs because I always left one because somebody else was willing to pay me more. And the one I was at was unable to pay me. that. I gave them proper, uh, proper notice. And then I went to the next job, and then the next job, and the next job. Uh, and so that was kind of the way that I worked starting when I was 11 years old. I left the restaurant I was at to go wash dishes at IHOP because IHOP would pay me more.
0: That's very interesting. Um, I don't know. I guess I did the same thing because I left the restaurant industry and I started working at the home improvement centers. Um, and I worked at two competing home improvement centers, and neither one knew that I worked at the other, which if you know, they, they probably would have had a problem with that. But so, two, um, two questions, because uh, we're getting close to time. And the, the one question is um, typical question I ask at the end. So I'll save that, um, save that one for the end. But I just have a question for you and, and in your position, because I'm thinking about little Jerry growing up. Uh, one, Having the chutzpah to go up and say, have the difficult conversation with your current boss saying, look, I've got this other opportunity over here that's paying me X. Can you meet or exceed that or or whatever, however you phrased it. But you had those conversations because you said you, I believe you did, and I I might be making this up, but I'm pretty sure you did because you said you gave proper notice, which would mean that you had that conversation. so, one kudos for you, so let that be a life lessons out there, everybody listening like he's been having the difficult conversation for a long time, and you know what he's still alive he to tell the tale it it's you can do it too, but the question for you, and this is going to be kind of out of left field um is that to an employee now, let's just say that they go in they're like. Dear boss, I have this other offer from company X and it pays this. Um, do, should that person accept the counter offer or will they forever be the person that took the counter offer and have some sort of black mark above their head?
1: I, I, don't, I always say there's going to be people that are going to hold that over you. There's no two ways. around. So when you, when you come with that, you have to be willing to move. Right. You have to be able to go to that other job. So you can't use it as a bargaining tool uh, unless you're able to actually use it and leave the company and go do it. So that's first and foremost. And I was happy to go find that job. And if I didn't have that job, I would go find another job. Right. Because they knew if I could find something paying me more money uh, that that I was going to go do that. But here's the thing, David. I was so valuable everywhere that I worked. I don't think I ever had a job, and I'm be bragging, but it's just reality. I did every job like it was, again, the food that I ate that day depended on. And so I worked my butt off every single day at every job I have. I don't know that I ever had a job I didn't get promoted at because just the entry-level job just was not for It was just the amount of effort I put in uh, pushed me up quickly, and pretty soon I'm doing other people's jobs. And so, if you're valuable in particular, that bargaining chip that you have is so much more effective that they don't want to lose you. Now, if if they don't want to lose you out of spite, right, just because how dare he come say that to me? Well, is that someplace you want to work anyway? Or do you want that place to acknowledge and, and to benefit from your hard work and pay you more or pay you what you need to keep you? I always looked at it. Anywhere I left, they were going to have to hire two people to do my job anyway. So it was a benefit to them to keep me. Um, So it always made sense to me, and I was always willing to leave. But you have to bet on yourself. This is, and again, a bit of a cliche, but it comes from somebody who's been doing this for 30 years. You have to bet on yourself. When I got the job, the job that's got me where I am today is I was a driver for a messenger company, 21 years old. And I went and then and they had this person who was dispatching and she was terrible at it. And 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 I quickly learned after driving for nine or ten months that she wasn't very good. So I went into the owner of the company, 32 employee company. I went into the owner of the company, sat down at her desk and said, Hey, look, I think I can do a better job dispatching than the dispatcher that you have now. And of course she responded like you would expect. I said, No, wait a minute, here's what I'll do. I'm assuming you're paying her 40, 45000 dollars a year. I'll do it for ten dollars an hour. For six months. At the end of six months, though, if I do a better job, you pay me what you're paying her. Now, I started Mm at $10 an hour doing that job, and I worked 11 hours a day for six months doing about the hardest job you could. I I mean, dispatching for a busy courier company in those days, all paper, a, a foot mic that you talked, everybody was on the same wavelength. It was just stress like you can't imagine. But I never even thought twice about that because I was betting on myself to the future. I had that job for eight years, and I grew that company from 32 employees to more than 100, and from two million dollars to five and a half million dollars. So, you have to have faith in yourself when you go have those conversations, but you have to be willing to make that move if the boss calls you on it or work for less. But uncom, I call them adult conversations. Adult conversations mm-hmm. happen all the time, and the more successful people, uh. Probably I would say, and I don't know this empirically, have those more conversa- those more uncomfortable conversations a whole lot more often than the general population.
0: I agree. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good things that come from those conversations, and we could actually talk about that for another hour, but I won't do that to you because I did promise you in the beginning I would respect your time. Um, but I will say that when people ask me that question, and I get asked that question a lot, David, should I accept the counter?" And I always ask them well, why did you go look for the other job in the first place? Does the other job excite you? Does staying excite you? I make, I, I and I'm not, I'm going to shorten it, but I, there's other questions, but I never give them an answer. I always ask them these questions and then let them decide. But, um, I don't know that anybody's ever actually accepted the counter offer, uh, because there's a reason that they went and, and looked, uh, for a new job. But, if you're, how would you coach somebody if they're unhappy with what they're doing um, to better their situation? And then uh, that's the last official question. Then I'll get to the wrap up. I promise. The the introspection and self awareness.
1: Uh, there we go again. That comes back. Your unhappiness is caused by you. I've never known anybody that was poor and unhappy that became rich and wasn't unhappy. So the fix is not money. The fix isn't riches. The fix isn't success. If you're unhappy at your job, you're un- you are unhappy. It's not the job. Meaning, go and do uh, any job you get. You do it 100% as hard as you can. Someone's paying you to do that job. You need to do that job to, your, to the best of your ability. If, you want, if you're not happy with that, though, there's a disconnect between being unhappy and not doing the job and where we get unhappy and where that really starts to take over is when the unhappiness is caused by someone else. It's not caused by somebody else, it's caused by you. Again, back to that self-awareness. Be aware that the unhappiness that you feel is your unhappiness. But you're not willing to do anything about it. So what do we do? We pass that on to somebody else. We blame others. It's so easy to blame somebody else for our issues. But that there's no success ever found in that. You have to Take that responsibility head on, which is so difficult to do, but I'm telling you, master this one trait and you will see the benefits of the, uh, you'll see that bear fruit relatively quickly, which is take responsibility for everything. I take responsibility for everything. It doesn't matter if I didn't have anything to do with it. Like I said earlier, if there were three people working uh, at a job and all three of them were doing nothing and I sat there and did everything, I'm fine with it. I'll just take responsibility for everything. It doesn't matter as the CEO and the owner, no matter what goes wrong, it's always your fault. And I don't point fingers and tell other people they screwed up and, 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 and all of this, I go, okay, what can we do next time? What can I do? Who didn't I talk to? How didn't I talk to him when instructions weren't put out correctly? What equipment didn't I give them? How, what did I need to do to have this be avoided the next time rather than going, look what he did. So, I would say that my advice to you is to look inward, to accept responsibility for everything, your life, what you're doing, the mistakes, the things you do right, the fact that you're, not being, uh, that you're not being recognized the way that you think that you should. All of those things are your responsibility. And if you take responsibility for those and are willing to make changes, I think that people will see a tremendous change in their lives fairly quick. and It's not going to be a day or a week, but it's going to be months or years, because all of a sudden somebody's going to say, hey, what's up with David? He's like a brand new person. The employee he is is extraordinary. There's something new about
0: it. I agree, because um, again, introspection is is key. And the key thing that people, we don't live in a just add water society. Like you can't just add water to a problem and have it grow a plant in 24 hours. It just doesn't right. happen. That's right. Um, but the changes, and see, here's the key thing that that I just I want people to leave with that point that you just made, which was awesome, is that if you can improve this, it's. A, I want you guys to think back. Like Jerry said, the word "it'll improve your life." It will, not just your work life, but if you can take. So I used. We're talking about work as an example. That was how I phrased the question, but you could substitute the word work for almost anything that's not making you happy. Look for the introspection, figure out what that is, and then it will impact and bleed over into the rest of your life.
2: Yeah.
0: It absolutely will. It absolutely will. Um, So Jerry, thanks for being on. Um, We talked a lot about a lot of common misconceptions, I think, today. about success, uh, you know, one, it's not easy. Um, you have to, you know, you just, if we don't live in a just add water, like we just said. Um, we talked about a bunch of others that, I have a bunch of notes, I could literally recap them, but I'm not going to. Um, but I just want to make sure that, because this is an, un, I come in unprepped, I didn't even know I was talking to you before I was talking to you, and I certainly didn't know what we were talking about or, or how successful in life that you even were who you were. But um, did, did we do, did I do a good job of helping you s- dispel some of those misconceptions? Was there a point that I missed? Because this is a follow David's thought path kind of podcast. And I wanted to make sure that if you had something you wanted to talk about that I, that I covered it.
1: Uh, I think we, we did again, my, my, I'll just reiterate a little more extensively that, that My whole point in doing this—I'm not selling anything. I don't have a seminar. I'm not trying to sell a book. I am trying to show people what's possible, and particularly—and it can be from all uh, from all economic levels, but particularly to the poor uh, in the world today who think the world is out to get them. You're being fed a story. It's not true. Uh, The United States is still uh, the place that you can make it happen. I think it's easier today even than it was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. But I think the noise is so loud that you don't think that you can, because some hand is controlling what you do. Some some uh, uh, some uh, political party has control of you, or you know, some local uh, boss is t- making you and holding you back. Or you know, the, the my parents uh, never supported me, or my brothers and sisters beat up on me. Whatever it is. All of those things aren't true. I'm li- I'm the living embodiment of that, and that is my message that I want people to hear: is that hard work nine times out of ten will pay off, and not pay off as big as you want it to, but I've never seen it fail.
0: It's a great message, and I and I appreciate you bringing that to us. So can you? I know I promised that was gonna be the last question to make sure that I answered everything, but this one hopefully you won't mind. Can you tell everybody maybe a little bit about what they're going to learn or hear when they tune in to the Jerry Brazy Podcast?
1: So yeah, the the Jerry Brazy Podcast is a lot of conversations like this. I'm a you know a no BS kind of guy. Uh and I'm telling things straight as at least from my opinion, and, and based on my experiences, I am I try to do a podcast where people can come and listen from for things that I know about. So if I don't know about it, chances are I'm not going to have an opinion on it. And when it comes to these things, particularly success in life and how to get through, uh, I'm a big believer in listening to the people who have done it, been more so than I am to the people who think they know how to do it. You know, there's a lot of 24 year old people that are happy to help you learn how to start a business because they read a book online. Uh, and then there's somebody that has actually started lots of businesses and have been through the wars. And you're probably going to get a whole lot more from them uh, than you are from somebody else. I'm not going to go to the local pool to learn how to swim if I can go to myself. So I, I try to to, and we have some fun on it and talk about current events, things that are going on. Uh, but there's always some commentary relative to life and the business of life um, based on, you know, this 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 fantastic uh, experience that I've had over the last uh, 50 years. Coming from where I've came from to getting where I've gotten uh, is pretty rare, and uh, the fact that I have some insight on it uh, is what I'm trying to, to get out there, what I'm trying to pay back, if you will, or give back.
0: Thank you. So everybody, the Jerry Brazy podcast, B-R-A-Z-I-E, in case you're wondering how to spell that uh, from earlier, uh, because I know you all wrote it down the first time I said it. There, I paused so you could write it down this time. So Jerry, thanks again for your time. Uh, I do like to say that I feel that time is everybody's most valuable asset, and they need to be careful how they spend it. Because we don't know how much time we are given when we are born. So thanks for spending time with me today and everybody listening. Thanks for spending time with us. Uh, and as always, if you need to reach me, it's pirpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave me a voicemail, uh, country code 1-585-210-0240. So thanks again, Jerry. Really appreciate it. I had fun. Thanks, David.